if you have something useful to say to the world and people need it, then you can command an audience and you can put a price on it. People are willing to pay so long as the cost of your solution is less than what they're getting. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to The Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello, and welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci. And today we have with us Ali Benazir. Now, Ali is a happiness engineer, author, speaker, and behavioral change scientist. He has self-published four books, including The Tao of Dating, The Smart Women's Guide to Being Absolutely Irresistible, and it's been the number one rated dating book on Amazon for seven years. He has a BA from Harvard College. MD from UC San Diego School of Medicine, and a Master's of Philosophy from Cambridge University. Formerly a consultant at McKinsey & Company, Ali coaches speakers and has given three TEDx talks by invitation, Your Creative Genius, Love and the Empowered Woman, and Happiness Engineering. But aside from all that, Ali also likes to help people write their books. And he is going to share with us today his special formula for how he writes his books in a 90-day framework. And I think that this can be very useful to you if you really struggle to just get it out. I think sometimes we can get so caught up in feeling the need to get it perfectly the very first time you put words to the page. And really, the truth is that that's never what happens, right? We only can improve upon work that's already on the page. So, Allie will share with you how to get those ideas out of your head and onto the page. And if you wanted to move straight into publishing after that 90-day period, my personal preference might be to spend a little bit of time doing some pretty deep editing also, but to each his own, you know? And I think that the real takeaway here is don't wait, don't hesitate, get your ideas out of your head and onto the page where you can see them, you can work with them, you can refine them. And something I know that Allie and I agree on 100% is this is the only way to get from lots of ideas in your head to holding that published book in your hand is to get them into a document first where you can see them and work on them. So enjoy this interview and get out your notebooks because you're going to want to take notes. So Allie, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thank you, Robin. So good to be here. Well, I'm so delighted to have you as our guest today and to be able to visit with you kind of in between our mutually 
attended type meetings. <laughs> so, a meeting, yes. The meeting was a group, name. A group meeting. Um, <laughs> yes. What meeting? There's no meeting. What meeting? <laughs> yeah, and look, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to speak to authors because I really believe in empowering authors. And we live in extraordinary times when mm-hmm. authors have access to so many resources that didn't exist, say, you know, 600 years ago when you had to build your own printing press and make your own ink from ashes. And yeah. And or even, so, even 30 years ago, right? Even 10 years ago. Right? Even so, 10 years ago, yeah. So things have changed significantly and, uh, and I'm thrilled to be able to convey some potentially life-changing information to all the authors and aspiring authors out there because this yeah. is also about just getting that book done. You have a book in you and mm-hmm. I, I call myself sometimes the friendly neighborhood book whisperer because I'm like, okay. oh, you gotta write that book. <laughs> and you have self-published four books yourself. That is correct. And that is a part of why I'm so excited about conveying this idea to other people because look, it has worked for me and I initially came from a very skeptical space thinking this is probably not going to work and there's a path. So I'd like to lay that path out for folks. How I got started, why I started doing this. Yeah. I think that would be terrific to share how you made that transition from author to helping other authors. Yeah. So the story starts in 2005 when I had a fancy consulting job at this company, which we shall call McMisery and Company. <laughs> and um, any phonetic resemblance to uh, real companies is completely coincidental. Coincidental. <laughs> and and needless to say, I was miserable at McMisery. And while I was working there, I saw this friend of mine launch a self-help line of ebooks. Ebooks. What's an ebook anyway? And he was doing remarkably well. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. And he's selling this ebook for a lot of money. Now, so what I year thought, is this? Give us some context. What year is this that you're noticing? Yeah, this is 2005. Okay, got it. I had a feeling it was. Yeah, this is before bit, yeah. ebooks were a thing. This is before right. the Kindle existed, before the Kindle Direct Publishing, the Kindle Store, any of this, uh, before any of this was really well known, e readers. And so I thought, okay, there's a path here. And that's going to be a recurring theme of our talk today, that there is a path. And if others went down the path, then you can too. So I decided to leave my job and I didn't tell anyone, didn't even tell my mom. And basically to write this book, this book was called The Tao of Dating, The Thinking Man's Enlightened Guide to Success with Women. And it was in the back of my mind for many years, just never got around to writing it. But now that I had no job, I had to write it. So I wrote it and managed to gather around an audience and I sold it for $70 a copy and people bought it. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. I cannot believe that this is working. But what I learned was that if you have something useful to say to the world and people need it, then you can command an audience and you can put a price on it and people are willing to pay so long as the cost of your solution is less than what they're getting. And for a lot of people, finding a partner, finding a date 
and the amount of money that they would lose on a single date significantly more than a hundred dollars. So, or to more worth. So, so that made sense to them. So that's when I started writing books in general. And I thought, Hey, you know what? It might be good to bring this to a broader audience through traditional publishing. So I got an agent to help me with that. An agent who was very well-placed. She was at ICM, one of these big places. And, um, she wouldn't return my calls. And I'm thinking, wait a sec, what's going on here? I'm giving her 15% of anything that I generate. So I think I'm the boss, but she's acting like the boss <laughs> and not giving me the time of day. This is very strange. So I got a different agent and the same thing happened again. And I got a different agent and the same thing happened again. I'm thinking, this is crazy. What's going on here? So, and I, also used to go to, uh, and I still do, Book Expo America every year to oh, go yeah. there. And I mean, I just love books, just love being swimming in that sea of books and authors and publishers and everything happening, but also gave me a very good feel for the industry and how there's so many gatekeepers and how publishing houses are spectacularly good at missing talent. I was just telling my friend the other day that you may have heard of Deepak Chopra, Tim Ferriss, and Joanne K. Rowling. You may not know that all these people were rejected more than 15 times, sometimes more than 40 times by not just publishers, but agents. Agents are like, I'm not even going to touch this. Nobody's going to read this. Or my favorite one, the chicken soup for the soul. And they're like, yeah. oh, nobody's going to want to read little vignettes. That's just ridiculous. Nobody wants these story collections. 150 million copies later, guess who's laughing all the way to the bank? So I realized that there are glitches in the industry and this whole gatekeeper system that's been around for a couple hundred years is not really designed to benefit the authors necessarily so much as it's designed to benefit the publishers and shield them from risk so i'm thinking is there a better way as i was thinking that this thing launched called the kindle and amazon opened the kindle direct publishing and with much reluctance i thought you know what maybe i should just publish my books on there right and charge a lot less because now I couldn't sell an ebook for $70 because now ebooks were $9.99. That's what Amazon said. But yep. guess what? Now Amazon was telling people about my stuff. I was yep. on this very big marketplace. And the biggest obstacle that most authors have is marketing, finding their audience. And now here was this entity that was doing a lot of that for me. So I'm like, all right, let's test this out. I'm making $7 instead of 70 bucks per copy. But now the audience has just broadened by several orders of magnitude. Mm -hmm. So that's where I published my second major book, The Dial of Dating, The Smart Woman's Guide to Being Absolutely Irresistible. And the book is still there and still doing well after 12 years of being on Amazon. I put it up on Valentine's Day 2010 and it's still selling. And for about seven years, it was the highest rated dating book on Amazon. And having done this, I met a lot of friends who had such interesting ideas and had done so much work. And I'm like, Hey, where's your book? They're like book, what book? I don't have a book. I can't write a book. And I'm like, no, 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 this is really important. You need to write the book. And they're like, Oh, it's just so much work. I've got two kids. I've got a job. I can't write the book. So I'm thinking, how do we make this easier? How do we like lower the mental barriers to writing a book? And people would often use the excuse of having writer's block. Well, here's one thing that nobody has, talker's block. People can talk. <laughs> and they can talk and they're talking extempore and they can do it pretty much endlessly. 
And there they were giving their talks at our mutual conference that we attend. And they mm -hmm. were perfectly eloquent. And if you just took that talk and you transcribed it, boom, one hour of talking is 30 pages of book. Yeah. So I came up with this idea of, hey, why don't you just talk your book? So that idea turned into this article that I wrote on my blog called How to Write and Publish Your Book in 30 Days. And now it's really 90 days because 30 days is theoretically possible. But hey, you want to give it your best shot. Might as well put the time and effort into it nine days, but 90 days is significantly less than the amount of time that most people think it takes to write a book. And hey, under deadline, that first book, I left my job at McMisery in April, and I had a deadline of September 1st for my friend to publicize it to his list. That's basically 90 days, right? And well, yeah, once you had the production time, sure. Yeah. And, and that means you're writing the book, you're editing the book, you're designing a cover, you are doing some marketing for the book, and just all the different mechanistic things that have to happen. Can you do it in 90 days? And the answer is absolutely yes, definitely possible. And so maybe we should give them the path for doing that to, to make it a lot easier than yeah. people think it is. Sure. All right. Yeah. So where do you start? So where do you start? Here's the thing. As I said, most authors are artists. They have an idea. They have, whether they're scientists, doesn't matter, or actual artists, the idea is you're the creator, you're an artist. And so this whole idea of marketing the book seems completely foreign. And, and oh, I shouldn't even do this, shouldn't even touch this. But my whole approach is about baking the marketing into your book from day one. And there's a fantastic book that I came across just a few months ago. It's called Write Useful Books a modern approach to designing and refining recommendable nonfiction. And by the way, just so we're clear, I'm talking about writing nonfiction books. I do not write fiction. I don't even know where to start marketing a fiction book. That's a much totally harder sell. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> totally different. different yeah. Yeah. I'm in the business of solving people's problems. And if you have a solution to somebody's problem, then it's a very easy business proposition. You will pay me less than the amount that you will gain from solving this problem. And people are perfectly happy to do that. With a story, who knows, much harder. But the idea is that if you have a nonfiction book that does solve somebody's problem, then you can bake into the book some notion of recommendability, of virality. I don't like to use virality these days because we had some real virality happening in the past <laughs> couple of years. So, but how about recommendability, right? How about word of mouth spreadability? So you want to get people to tell other people about your book. And you do that by, first of all, writing a really good book. That is never optional, right? So just give it your absolute best. Put your best material in there. Do not hold back. And then what I want you to do is to establish your own editorial board, kind of your security council that's going to help you write this book but also spread the book, right? Because once you have a bunch of people who have signed up to help you with the book, they're going to be invested in it. And when they're invested in it, they're going to be willing to tell other people about it. And that's the nidus. That's the little nucleation site that starts everything, right? So we have a crystallography. And if you want to create a crystal, you need a little seed first. And then around that, things can build. So what you want to do is before you even start writing the book, you want to talk to people and say, hey, would you be interested in being on my editorial board? I would love to have you because X, Y, Z, because I really value your opinion. And also I would love to put you in the acknowledgements and you'll get a signed copy 
And yeah, I'd really appreciate that. And people think, why would anybody do that? Sounds strange. But, but Robin, if somebody asked you to do that, would you think it's strange? Well, I wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm curious, how many people were on your editorial board? Right. So when I wrote the Dow of Dating for Women, what I did was I appealed to my entire list. So not everybody has the list of 20,000 emails of readers, but I just said, hey, here's the book. Here's what's happening. And I also put out the appeal to my friends and about... 50, between 40 and 50 people said yes, they would help out. And of those, about 20 people actually did help out. Wow. Yeah. And these are total strangers, right? Except for the few who were not. But the point is, if you were to appeal to 50 of your friends for this, you'd be surprised. You would get a lot more people saying yes than you would imagine because people Mm -hmm. are more flattered than they are offended. And look, there is no choice. You have to do this with help, right? So this becomes an essential part of the whole book writing process because now you have editors, right? Not just editors, you have editors who are made of your potential readership. When you give your book to a professional editor, sometimes they're completely divorced from your field. They have no idea what you're talking about and they don't have a feel for what you're saying and they're not even your target audience. They would never buy your book. Whereas If you have these people who volunteered to edit, help you work on this book that's specifically in their wheelhouse, then guess what? That's much more representative. And the key thing is when they do edit, just listen to them because this is your audience. But I'm getting ahead of myself because that's like one of the final parts of it. But the thing is, you want to have that in mind from day one, who to assemble the editorial board, because they're going to be your sounding board for your crazy ideas, but they're also going to be the audience that makes it all meaningful. One of the things I tell my friends and my clients when it comes to book writing is nobody gives a damn about your unfinished manuscript. Nobody. (laughs) Um, Unfinished manuscript, right? It doesn't matter until it matters. And when you collect these people who say, yeah, 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 I want to read this book. When is it going to be ready? Then you're like, oh, this actually matters. It's not just about me anymore. It's about my audience and it's always about your audience. It's never about you. So that's what got me to actually finally finish my book for men. I wrote in about four months, three and a half months, a book for women about three and a half years because there was no pressure. There was no deadline until readers started writing me and say, Hey, what happened to this book? You say you're going to write. I'm like, Oh damn, people do. So, <laughs> so it serves both as the editorial board who will help you for finding the book, but also the reason for writing the book. Mm. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. Right. So shall we get into the actual word generation part of it? Oh, please. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's the part that most people think is the most challenging, but that's actually probably one of the easiest parts because the knowledge is already inside your head. And if you look back at some of the most successful personal development, self-help titles, uh, nonfiction titles of the past few years, they were all written in a very conversational tone almost excessively so. For example, I can think of Mark Manson's, the, uh, what was it? The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, right? right? Mm -hmm. And that's a very conversational title. It has the word fuck in the title. And there's a bunch of things like that. So there's You Are a Badass by my friend and colleague, Jen Sincero. And all these books, super conversational. They're all telling stories, very easy to read that way. And it turns out, that one of the easiest way to sound conversational in your writing is to just have a conversation. 
and transcribe it. So what I recommend the people do is to make an outline of a of their book and nine to 12 chapters is about what your nonfiction book is going to be. And there's a sweet spot of about 70 to 80,000 words that a lot of books land on partially because that's what Harper One says. It's like, oh, 70,000 words. But also I didn't know about that. And my book came out to about 280 pages, 70,000 words. So 200, 280, 70,000 words, that's where you're going to be. If you get more than that, it's going to be long-winded. People, and feel free to write a shorter book. That's totally fine. People love short books. The book that I just recommended to you, it's a hundred pages, but it's a hundred meaty, really useful pages. And I just recommended it to a whole bunch of people. So it works, right? Good books that get read, get recommended. Great books that are super duper long that don't get recommended nearly as much. True. Okay, so you want to have this chapter outline of nine to 12 chapters. And these are your different areas of expertise, the things that you want to tell your audience about, right? So let's say you're talking about real estate investment. Okay. So you want to talk about how to find properties, how to buy and sell flip properties, how to finance, right? Whatever it is, you get your uh, 12 different categories, nine, uh, 12. Again, these are guidelines, but I found that generally 12 or nine, it tends to be the number that people end up on. And then for those, you have subheadings, right? So each category, you're like, okay, what do I need to convey to my audience about financing? Oh, going to the bank. Oh, okay. Interest rate. Okay. Negotiation, whatever it is, you make that list. So now what do you have? You have these chapter headings and you have within the chapters subheadings. Now you go to a good friend and you say, Hey, would you mind interviewing me on these topics? And you record it. So are you able to answer these questions about your area of expertise in an interview? Yes, you can do that. Have you done that a hundred times? Yes, you can. Can you talk extempore without having talker's block? You can do that. Every hour of speech ends up being around 30 pages of text. So how many hours do you need to have a whole book? Like eight, maybe, right? Eight, nine, not that many. So you do these interviews and you can even use a facility like otter.ai, which basically transcribes your voice in real time does a pretty good job of it. And lo and behold, now you have a whole bunch of text. All the knowledge is down there. And moreover, it's conversational because your friend just interviewed you, just ask you these questions as if it's an interview. And by the way, if you all have pre-existing interviews or talks, you can also just transcribe those and put them in there. Some of the most popular books in the world are just transcripts of interviews, uh, self-help books. So Jim Rohn has all these books and they're just transcripts of his seminars. So now you have your text, now you have your stuff, and you have your raw material. So they can take this and you can edit it and make it clearer, make it sound better, whatever it is that you want to do with it. But the bulk of that really scary thing you wanted to do, which is to write that you thought was so insurmountable, guess what? You just surmount it through this neat little mental trick of talking your ideas out loud by being interviewed instead of writing it. Now, writing it is also okay. And some people are more comfortable doing it that way. But if you want to be on the 90-day schedule, this mm -hmm. works wonders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you're being interviewed and sharing your knowledge, who do you have in mind? Like, are you just answering your friend who's asking you the questions or are you thinking of? That's a great question. So the reason why it's so great to have a friend do it for you. So first of all, you want to find someone who is interested in your topic. So somebody who actually represents your target audience, 
because then they're going to ask you questions about what you just said. Hey, that wasn't really clear. Oh, how do you do that? Wow, that's really interesting. Go more into that. So when they say that, you make a note. It's like, okay, more on this. So it's like doing a live focus group research right there in real time. So make sure you pick someone who is actually interested in the topic because that way you'll be getting real-time feedback on whether your stuff is working at all. And if it doesn't make sense, they'll tell you. And it's also very important to give your interviewer just completely free reign to be honest with you, right? You don't want somebody who's a yes man, yes woman saying, oh, this is great. Oh my God, this is so amazing. Nope. You want maximal critical feedback in the beginning. Not necessarily like this is horrible stuff, but hey, you clarify that. What do you do? How do I say this more eloquently in a way that comes across that people understand and can use? So, uh huh. So, I mean, and that sounds like so that interview process that really sounds like you're capturing the first draft. Yes, exactly. How do you advise people? Because from the first draft to the draft that gets formatted into a book can be multiple iterations. So, absolutely. So, yes, that's exactly what it is. It's a first draft, and that's usually the hardest part. So. Even as someone who's been writing a long time, last night I was writing this little short article uh, for my niece about some simple tips on driving, right? So you're 17, she just got her license. It's the most dangerous time in your entire life to be driving. So, hey, what would I tell my niece about that? And I was, I found myself like censoring myself as I was typing. I'm like, it's just a first draft for my niece, right? So I just let go of that little sensor in my mind and just started typing and saying it. And it came out a lot better. And then afterwards, I was able to go back and modify it and make things pretty. And that's what you'll be doing. After you have your manuscript, your first draft, then you can go back and work on organization, style, add humor, whatever you want to do, and make it pretty. And this is where your editorial board comes in. And what I recommend is to have pieces of your document up on Google Docs. Because what Google Docs does is it allows collaborative editing. You put it up there and people can come in and they can comment on it. And a little bubble comes up and it's like, okay, do this, do that. And that way you can get a whole bunch of feedback all in one spot. So when I did it, there was no Google Docs like that with real-time editing. I sent out a stamped self-addressed envelope to everybody along with a printed full 270 page manuscript. Okay. So now you don't have to do that. You can do it by Google Docs. The other thing that I highly recommend people do, especially if you do not have prior experience as an author, is to start a blog because the blog also allows you to drip your content to the world and allow people to see what's happening in real time and like, oh, wow, this is great. I'm the first eyeballs on the stuff that's coming out of this author. And it helps your, your audience feel included in the whole process and allows you to gradually drip out content. So with uh, one of the people that I'm coaching right now, she puts up her content on her blog on Psychology Today, and she gets instant feedback from the world. Was this good? How many hits did this get? They got fewer hits than the other one. Okay, well, what can we make better here? And in no time in history, have people have been able to get this much feedback from this many sources for free. It's astonishing, right? You used to have only professional editors and people didn't show their work to anybody until it was all done. You had a full draft, but now you can drip it out. You can do it bit by bit. And that way you can refine your message and sometimes change it entirely because you're like, oh, wow, 
they're really not responding to this part. Maybe I should pivot and do something else. So that's one of the great advantages of all facilities we have here. And you should use them all. That book that I told you guys about, Right Useful Book, it has a comprehensive list of all the tools you can and should be using for this process of editing as you go along and also writing openly. I'm part of this writing group on this platform, which exists as of now in 10 years, who knows, but I've gotten a lot out of it. So Seth Godin runs these workshops called Akimbo. And one of the workshops is writing in community. And every day we put up a little bit of our writing and it just gets you in that rhythm of creating something every day. And it's so important to the craft of being an author. So as a first time author who's never written before, maybe that's more challenging for you. But when you're in a bunch of people who are all doing the same thing, it just becomes easier. And all these people give each other feedback. And again, these tools simply did not exist. This is not how Gutenberg uh, printed his first Bible. There was no feedback. (laughs) And he had to carve out all the letters by hand. So you don't have to do that. And speaking of, uh, perhaps we should talk about tools as well. Okay. Give us some tools. What are your favorite tools? Yeah. So, uh, so my favorite writing tool for uh, large manuscripts is, is Scrivener. So I don't know if you're a Scrivener convert, but I wrote my first book in Microsoft Word, and there's a lot of things that are clunky about Microsoft Word. So for example, if you have a 270 page manuscript and you're trying to find a spot in it, then you're like scrolling here and then you have two different windows and you can't see the whole manuscript. You just, you don't get a holistic feel for the entire work. And it's also very challenging to move things around. It's possible, but it's not designed for that. And there's a lot of workarounds you have to use if you want to make Microsoft Word work for you. Whereas this thing called Scrivener is custom designed for exactly this kind of thing, handling of large documents. It's super versatile, almost too versatile, some people would say, but the most useful part of it is that you have this little sidebar, which is called the binder, and it gives you an outline of the entire work at all times. And that way you can just put up your outline and just fill it in. And if you want to move things around, you just click on it and you move it and you don't have to cut, you don't have to paste, you just move it around. And then it gives you a running count of your words and how the document's looking. You can format it. You can turn it into an ebook. You can do any number of things. It is amazing. It'll take you about a day to really figure it out. So it just have that in your accounting for how long it's going to take you to master this, but that day will save you months and months of efforts down the road. So fully, totally worth it. What, what is your tool? What do you like to use, Robin? Actually, we use uh, Google Docs and we do use Microsoft Word. Mm-hmm. I have a question though. So when I was picturing your editorial board and yeah. everybody getting on Google Docs, yeah. uh, I had a mini panic attack um, okay. because one thing about Google Docs is that if you don't remember to put track suggest mode, you can get in a lot of, you can lose a lot of time because somebody might that massive cut and it's gone. And so I was curious because I'm picturing like you have 50 people on your editorial board and everybody has access to Google Docs. How do you manage that? Do you set guidelines for them? Yeah. So I would use it on a much smaller scale. So I haven't had 50 people on there yet. And <laughs> I've never no, actually... Board, just a few select editors on your... Yes. And uh, I haven't written a book that way yet. I'm about to start ripping it out. So the way I did it was I printed out copies and gave them to people and had them mail it back to me. This is very primitive. 
and use a whole bunch of trees and then you get it back and then you have to go through the document. Manually enter the, yeah. Huh? yeah. And you have so to manually super clunky, super clunky, but it worked. But Google Docs, what I would do is I would, first of all, 50 is a lot of editors. I think that may be too many. Well, yeah, I just was riffing off of what you yeah. said about the editorial board. You had like 50 people, but I now I'm understanding not everybody on the board actually gets to touch the document. That's the thing. And not everybody will contribute. So right. um, from my experience from being in these other writing programs is that you send it to 50 people and four people will comment per document, right? Mm -hmm. What I do recommend is to have, once you have the whole thing completed, is to have like your 10 or 15 best editors receive that fully printed manuscript and have them mark it up. Because there's something about having it in their hands with a paper and pen that's just different. And they're going to see things that they didn't see before. But for speed, Google Docs cannot be rivaled and efficiency and keeping trees from getting killed. So again, everybody's going to find their own comfort level with that. But yes, thank you for that reminder that Robin just told us definitely track changes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, our listeners might not have had that experience yet and we'd hate for them to learn the hard way <laughs> yeah. you, can also, you can also set it such that people have commenting ability but not editing ability so yeah uh, and that could be a brilliant solution right is just yeah. to give them comment ability and then they could suggest an edit in the comments yeah and you and can also worry about yeah yeah, and you can stagger it to your list of editors, like five people on Monday, five more people on Wednesday, five more people on third Friday, so you don't get overwhelmed by comments. But that's almost never been the problem. People are not overwhelmed by free labor, usually. Just kidding. So let me see here. What else do I want to make sure that people... So let's let's start from the beginning. So first you, want to, first, you want to be very clear on why you're doing this. You're doing this because the world needs it, right? This is not about you. This is something that people out there have problems that they need to solve and you happen to have a solution. And if you have the cure to the skin cancer and you're hoarding it at home, how is that doing in the world? And you go, okay, so stop being stingy with your gifts. It's time to give your gift. And you're going to do that by writing this book. And so then you want to create the mechanisms by which you can disseminate the word to your editorial board. So you assemble the editorial board, you have your blog, it takes about 15 minutes to install a WordPress blog. It's a very simple thing. Or just go on Squarespace. There's so many ways of doing this, but just get that blog going. So you have something to drip your content on and see if the world cares. And the world will tell you. And as you drip it, you will also ask for editorial help from your editorial board. And it's never too early to assemble that because these are the people who are going to make the entire about your marketing partners as well. Because what we're doing is we're baking the marketing into the book. So you got to think, okay, who's got a big old podcast would be super duper interested in this book. So for example, if I'm writing a book on dating, which I am again, I'm thinking, huh, there's going to be a bunch of dating podcasts out there. So start reaching out to them before you finish the book, like even at the very beginning and say, hey, I'm going to have this book ready by September of 2022, would you like me to come on your podcast, right? So this does two things. First of all, it allows you to connect with these people who have audiences, whether it's a blog or a podcast or just a big audience, maybe they have a social media following. 
But also, you just gave yourself a deadline. Yeah, right. You know what does not get done without a deadline? Anything. So, right. <laughs> at least for me, right? Once again, the world does not a give a flying Philadelphia, whatever, for your book. So, for your unwritten <laughs> manuscript. So, you need to set the deadline. And when you talk to these marketing partners, you are now beholden to them. You have accountability, right? So, you just dug this hole for yourself. And guess what? You get to dig yourself out of it by actually writing the book and finishing it. And so you got the good interviewer or you even hire a good interviewer. That's totally allowed too. It doesn't have to be a friend, but it helps if, you, if it's a friend who is interested in it. And the thing is now there's a whole bunch of nitty gritty that people get intimidated by because like, oh my God, I've never done this. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that difficult. So the cover is super important. And I have a way of creating the cover, which worked for me. And I think it's powerful because it's very different from the traditional publishing way of creating cover, which is that they hire somebody who's a cover designer, they make a cover and they stick it on your book. And that I think is a terrible idea because the cover in this day and age, that's all people see. Uh, most books are sold online and on Amazon, you get this tiny little thumbnail. So that's what they get to see. That's how in a book is going to get judged by its cover. So what you want to do is you want to test ideas for your cover. And the most effective way is this crazy tool available to all of us. It's called 99designs. What you do is you go on 99designs, and this is a site where you can put up a project and say, hey, I've got this project. I want to make, I don't know, a poster for my restaurant. I want to make some kind of birthday invitation for my kid, or I want to make a cover for my book. And I am putting up this amount of money and please submit your ideas. And lo and behold, you will have dozens of people submitting. So there are different levels at which you can set the price. And the higher you put it, the better the quality. So 300 is about the minimum. I think it's 299, where you get a whole bunch of people uh, participating and submitting their ideas. But I say go even higher, 600, because if you were to hire a professional book cover designer who's like really good, they could charge thousands. You're still way ahead of the game when you go on here, right? But the most important thing is you get a full spectrum of ideas from different people, and then people vote on it. So you're getting actual data as to what people find appealing and interesting. And a couple of criteria that are very important for your book cover. One is you want the letters in your title to be large enough to be legible from across a room, because this is how word of mouth happens. You're on a train, you're reading something in a cafe, you want that person who is like 10 yards away to be able to tell what you're reading. Okay. Super duper important. If you look at the cover of the subtle art of not giving a fuck, it's just giant letters. You can and bright orange. Read that. And it's bright freaking orange. Exactly. So you want bright colors. You want to catch people's attention. Okay. And um, if you go online and go to Amazon and see some covers, you'll see a bunch of really, really bad covers. Great books, terrible covers. Like, I hate the cover for Amy Cuddy's book, Presence. Why? It's like this wooden figure without a face. What is going on here? How is that appealing to anybody, right? So the most appealing and attention-getting things for people are faces. So put a human face on there. Put famous faces on there, hopefully with cleared pictures that you, know, you don't get sued if you use. But yeah. put a face on there. Put animals on there. Use bright colors like yellow and orange. 
and most of all, test it. So when you use 99designs, you get to test the cover. And then after you have a bunch of winners, you test those via Google AdWords, via Facebook ads, and just see which ones people actually click on, because that's how you find out. And the difference between a good cover and a mediocre cover is an order of magnitude in sales or more. I mean, I'm not kidding you. It makes a huge difference. So don't do what the major publishers do, which is they don't do a thorough job of testing because a lot of them are so mired in the 19th century. They don't know that AdWords exist, 99designs exist. They just have one cover and they say, hey, a bunch of stick figures on the cover. It's going to be great. No, it doesn't work that way. You want to be savvy about this and get actual data about what people like. So it is not too early ever to think about the cover, especially if you already have a title for your book. In that first month of writing, start thinking about the cover, launch the contest and see what you get. And you know you can do it for as little as 300, but a budget of like a thousand, that would be great. And then it'll be an iterative process. And when you publish, when you self-publish, you also have the latitude of changing your cover. The current cover from my Dow dating book is the fourth version of the cover. And I think it may be the stickiest, but somebody tells me, hey, you should do this, it'll be better. I'm perfectly open to that. And you can change that literally overnight. Hmm. And does that bring us to like actual publishing on KDP? Sure. Let's wrap up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the final step, of course, is you want to publish your book. And the reason why I'm such a big fan of self-publishing is because you have so much latitude. So first of all, you own your product when you self-publish. Whereas when you go to a traditional publisher, you sell your book to them. They own your intellectual property. So this way you can modify it, you can change the text, you can change the cover, you can do any number of things and you have complete creative control, which may be scary, but I think it's better than the alternative of not having creative control. And the biggest platform for self-publishing these days is Kindle Direct Publishing, KDP. And now they're both doing eBooks and print books. So they bought CreateSpace and they merged it with Amazon and CreateSpace is fantastic. I use KDP, just the print version, because what they do is they print your book on demand. I used to have warehouses full of thousands of copies and runs of printing that cost me thousands of dollars. And then I had to have fulfillment houses and visually ship the books. But guess what? Amazon now does all of that for you. And you still get 50% of the cover price back to you, at least 55% technically, but you're also paying for printing. So you end up getting about 45% of the cover price back in your pocket, which is still much better than the 15 to 10% you would get if you went through traditional publishers. And of course, you get 70% of the cover price when you sell the ebook, which costs nothing to print, kind of amazing. So you go to Kindle Direct Publishing, you open your account, you set up your bank account, and they have instructions there. It's super user-friendly, and you can do all this stuff. And you know what? If any part of this sounds daunting to you, there are these great resources specifically for people who want to self-publish. So the two that I'm sure Robin has told people about, Readsy, R-E-E-D-S-Y.com and Bibliocrunch.com. So here are entire legions of people who want to copy edit your book. They want to like edit your book for style. They want to format your book. They want to design your cover for you. The entire spectrum of book professionals are at your disposal there to make your book look absolutely awesome. So that way you have no excuse. So if you have more time than money, you can go to readz.com or bibliocrunch.com and hire somebody. 
of course, there are professionals like Robin and myself, and we're happy to help you with that too, if you would prefer more assistance. But if you want to go totally DIY and do this on a shoestring, totally possible. But do not skimp on the cover. Do not skimp on the formatting. Hire professionals to do that stuff because they're just much better at it. And you don't have to learn everything. You already know your discipline. You know your craft. Focus on that. Crank out the best book you can. Edit by people who would want to read it. Stick it up on Kindle Direct Publishing. Press, publish, and boom, voila, you are now a publisher. <laughs> Bravo. Thank you so much for giving us this breakdown. Yeah, I just want to make it easy. 90 minute process in less than an hour breakdown. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. And look, the point is, this is so much easier than it used to be, right? Is it easy? Well, no, you still have to sit down and write a book. It's going to take you many hours and much gnashing of teeth because writing books is not the easiest thing in the world, right? But it's a lot easier than you think it is, especially if you decide to take the interview and record and transcribe route, because then, boom, you can have a manuscript literally within a week. Mm, wonderful. Well, great. So, um, Ali, where would people go to find you? Yeah. So, best way to reach me is to just email me directly. So, Dr. Ali, D-R-A-L-I at happinessengineering.com. And there's the Tao of Dating site, TaoTaoDating.com. That's my dating, love, and relationship material. And then there's happinessengineering.com, which is my happiness-related material. And yeah, I do not actually have a site for my book writing coaching, but for that, you can just contact me directly. Perfectly happy to talk you through what you need to do. And if you want longitudinal help, happy to do that as well. Fantastic. Well, Thank you so much for sharing all these wonderful tips and thank you for being with us on The Author's Corner. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time. 